Praise the Lord. Good morning. Hallelujah. You would turn in your Bibles to John chapter 14, verse 16 and 17. Usually I have a uh, text that I, is kind of like my main text to preach from, but, but believe it or not, this may be the first time I've done that. I just chose my text. I'm preaching on the subject of the Holy Spirit and there's just so many scriptures here. But John 14, 16, and 17 says, am I echoing? All right. Good. I like the echo for effect. (laughs) It says, and this is, remember, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples at the end of his um, life. And he knows he's about to go to the cross and be resurrected. And so he's giving them instructions for, you know, what they need to do after um, he's gone. So very important. He says, and I will ask the Father. All right. Well, there's a lot of theology just in that phrase, right? You know, those who are not, don't believe in the Trinity, you know, be kind of odd for the son to ask the father a question, wouldn't it? (laughs) But he's asking the father. And he says, and he, the father, will give you another advocate to help you and be with you how long? Forever. So if you're not, uh, if you don't believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit being separate persons, it's kind of a hard verse to, to figure out, you know. You say, but you know, I read it on the internet and it seems so convincing. You know, let's start reading our Bibles, okay? Hallelujah. I'll send you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of what? Truth. The world cannot accept Him. See these personal pronouns here? This is a person. Okay, and we need to realize it's just not an impersonal force or it's just not, uh, you know, like uh, Star Wars. I think I got it right. Star Wars or Star Trek, they're kind of the same thing, right? Yeah. I'm not a sci-fi person. I don't know the difference. Pretty well, same thing. Both just space, things, whatever, you know. <laughs> I knew I would offend some. That's the most offense I've ever had in the service. I just know that I was pushing a button there, so just know that. Not an impersonal force, but it says, the spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. That's a scary thought. The world neither sees him nor knows him. And the implication is that we do both. We see the Holy Spirit working in our lives and in the world, and we know Him. But you know Him, for He lives, what? With you, and future tense after the resurrection, He will be in you. So very important what we're studying here today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love You, Lord. And Lord, I just pray right now, Lord, that you would, um, with your anointing, Lord God, deliver this message through me, Lord. Father, I pray that you would hide me behind the cross. They would hear you and only you, Lord God, your words. 
Uh, in your name I pray, Lord Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Praise the Lord. So there's the person of the Holy Spirit. And um, Jesus is very clearly saying, when I leave, I will send you another advocate. I'll send you a person who will be with you like I've been with you, okay? He's been with them for three years, ministering to the disciples. Now He's telling them that the Holy Spirit is not only going to be with you like I've been with you, but He's going to be in you. And the world doesn't know Him, the world doesn't seem, but you do. And so this whole message is about who is this person the Bible calls the Holy Spirit. And why is the Holy Spirit important? In fact, this is part two. Last week I preached a message called uh, the, Sp- the Spirit-Led Church. Hallelujah. How many want to be a Spirit-Led Church? And so last week I talked a lot about, in fact, the text that I read from last week was Thessalonians 5.19-22. to It says, Do not quench, which means don't put out, this fire of the Holy Spirit. Like, don't quench what the Spirit is doing in your midst, is what Paul's trying to say here. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good, but reject every kind of evil. And I was telling you last week that this is about 20 years after Pentecost. The event where Jesus said... The Holy Spirit will come upon you. He will do you with power. And this is after the resurrection where the Holy Spirit is now coming to live within you. Your body is going to literally be the house or the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul is very careful because, and I'm reviewing from last week because it's relevant to this week's message, part two here. Paul is in a church in Thessalonica 20 years after Pentecost. And now remember, I said last week, this is 20 years ago at Pentecost, which compared to our time frame, 2021, the year that we're in, this would be like Pentecost being in 2000, the year 2000, not long ago. All right. And Paul is saying, don't put out that fire of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying He'll be with you forever. He'll teach you all things. He's going to be with you from now on because I'm going away. And Paul's saying don't quench the Spirit. And he's saying do not treat prophecies with contempt. But he's saying test them. Well, last week I talked about there's a whole group of teachers out there and it's not biblical. They're saying that we're supposed to not no longer have prophecy anymore. And Paul is not talking about what the Bible calls the sure word of prophecy, which means it's inerrant and infallible, and that's the word of God. How many know that's the more sure word of prophecy? That means it's 100% infallible if it's in the word of God. He's not talking about that because the word of God doesn't have to be tested with each one. He's saying, but prophecy that comes from the church, prophecy that it works as a gift of the Spirit, he's saying, test it. Because it's coming from fallible human beings. And he said, test it, don't despise it, alright? Test it, and make sure that it is the good kind, singular, 
not the bad kind, all kinds of evil that comes from it. So Paul is stressing that the gift should be an operation and don't quench the Spirit, right? Because the Holy Spirit is, is, is what God's given the church to, um, for the church to grow and the church to mature and the church uh, to survive. In fact, Thessalonica needed those encouraging words because they were heavily persecuted. In fact, they had people dying for their faith in their city. And uh, how many know we don't have people right now that are dying in our city because of their faith? And so they needed that encouragement from the Holy Spirit. And so as we go into the study of who the Holy Spirit is, um, the, the only way that we can be a Spirit-led church, okay, and really hear this, 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 this is a revelation, but sometimes we don't think of this as we have to know who the Holy Spirit is. You say, well, hold on, my, my definition of a Spirit-led church is all, all totally different. And think about it. Think about how many definitions of what a spirit-led church is. And we've got all kinds of ideas on what a spirit-led church should look like. But ultimately, we have to know who the Holy Spirit is to be led by Him. In fact, if He's our leader, in fact, I almost titled this uh, series of messages, Take Us to Your Leader. <laughs> Take Us to Your Leader. You know, the... And, but with all the UFO stuff coming out, I just didn't want to get too far out there. You know, I don't want to seem like a conspiracy theorist. But you know, the, the the little alien ship comes down, and the and uh, boy, this is that whole Star Trek, Star Wars thing. You know, and just the whole theme today. But they come down, and they're like, "Hey, take us to your leader, right?" So what if somebody came into our church and said, "Take us to your leader?" You say, "Well, here's Pastor Chad." Spirit-led church is not Pastor Chad. You know, if somebody said to you in your own life, take us to your leader, and you say, you're looking at him. I'm leading my family, I'm leading the life, and you know, that's not a spirit-led life. The Bible says that as many as are the sons of God, as many are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. And so we clearly have to be led by the Spirit of God. That's our leader. That's who Jesus installed and said He will lead you uh, forever. I'm going away and He's going to be here. So in order to be Spirit-led, we've got to figure out what is the work of the Holy Spirit? What's the Holy Spirit doing? And once we figure out what the Holy Spirit is doing, then we can see where He's working and how He's working and 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 recognize when he's at work, right? So let's look at some of the things that the Holy Spirit is doing so we can start to begin recognizing when he's at work. Number one, one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is he convicts of sin. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit will convict us of sin. Now, how many know that's really important? I mean, that's like to have a built-in, you say, well, that's my conscience. You know, my conscience is there to tell me when I'm doing wrong and when I'm doing right. And some of you have been taught that. And in some ways... There's a little tiny bit of truth to that. 
But here's the only problem. The Bible says that the heart is evil. It's constantly doing evil. It's bent on doing evil. And, 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 and it is deceitful among, it said is the most deceitful thing is the heart of man. So without the Holy Spirit working in our lives, we can't even recognize what sin is. Because what we do is we justify everything, whether it's sin or not, we eventually will justify it because the Bible says we have what's called the lust of the flesh. And that means that we desire things for ourselves. and get this, we'll override the Holy Spirit regularly. Like we will say, okay, I'm overriding the Holy Spirit because this brings me joy or pleasure. And so the Holy Spirit works to make sure you have a built-in system to learn what sin is. And the Holy Spirit, in fact, there's a doctrine, and doctrine is just another word for teaching that the Bible has. And depending on what persuasion you are as far as uh, your religious background, uh, some will call it provenient grace, or some will call it irresistible grace, depending on what theological side you're on. But that, this is the ideal that even when I'm away from God, there is grace that is drawing me. While we were yet sinners, grace is drawing you toward Christ. In fact, it's called conviction. Conviction is saying you need Christ. You need a Savior. You need to reform your life. You need to um, recognize that these things in your life are not right. And uh, sometimes conviction... Um, you can actually run from the Holy Spirit and grieve the Holy Spirit. How many know that? The Holy Spirit is a person and the Bible says He can be grieved. And we see at a time in Noah's day when the Holy Spirit was extremely grieved with the way the world was functioning. They were running from God. And how many know in our lives we can start running from the voice of the Holy Spirit? Like when you were a kid, do you remember like sometime your life might have been in danger? And you were like, oh my God. In fact, it's become a term with human beings, right? Who taught you that? God, help me. God, my life's in danger, help me. Or God, bleep. You know, nobody's ever saying, Muhammad, bleep. Or Buddha, bleep. Nobody's ever saying, oh, Buddha, dear... Buddha, help me. Nobody naturally says that, okay? But you know that God has built inside of us a need for Him. A need for God, a need to, um, a need to respond to the Holy Spirit. It's called provenient, I like the term provenient grace because it means in your life, your entire life, God has been trying to reach you. God's grace has been trying to reach you. There's times that you lay alone and you're away from people and God's trying to reach you. And there are times in the Bible where you see extreme moments of conviction. In fact, the Bible says God's provenient grace works through the power of preaching, the power of witnessing, the power of the Holy Spirit working through other believers. Sometimes God will even do it independent of believers. You'll be, how many have ever, before you came to Christ, you were laying in bed and you could just sense something was saying, get right with God. Get right with God. And that's His provenient grace. That's the Holy Spirit. 
And some of you have never recognized the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Bible says the world doesn't see it. And the world doesn't even know that's the Holy Spirit. In fact, he's been working. In in fact, I asked somebody the other day, "Do, do you ever remember a time where you could sense the Holy Spirit saying, hey, man, you shouldn't have treated somebody that way. Or you shouldn't speak with profanity the way you are. Or, you know, you should get right with God. And have you ever sensed that? That's the Holy Spirit, and a lot of people don't recognize that. And the Holy Spirit is constantly working in His creation, trying to draw all men to God. Trying to draw everybody to God, and this grace of the Holy Spirit is working. So one of the workings we can pin down is, when the Holy Spirit's at work, there's conviction of sin. In fact, when you're drawn to Christ and you believe on Christ... The Bible says that that same Holy Spirit that's drawing you to Christ is in you now. You say, oh no, that one that kept giving me trouble about my profanity. The one that was giving me trouble about watching things I shouldn't or reading things I shouldn't or or on my phone looking at things I shouldn't look at, right? That he's going to be in me now? And you say, well man, how's that going to work? This is a thing we call sanctifying. That same Holy Spirit that was saying you need Christ and there's sin, He's the one that's telling you now, let me help clean you up. And so that same Holy Spirit is still working. You say, well, man, I don't want to hear things like that. I don't want my life cleaned up. Well, you're not ready for the Holy Spirit then. Because He's my constant companion and my cry every day is, Lord, clean me up. Lord, help me with my sins. Help me with the things I'm struggling with. And how many know He's my constant companion to help clean up sin in my life? How many know that? So this is the work of the Holy Spirit. So if we see an environment, let's say for a revival, for instance. How many know if there is a real revival and the Holy Spirit is at work, what is one thing you will surely see? Conviction of sin. You'll see people under the conviction and the power of the Holy Spirit, and you say, well, good, those dirty sinners need that. (laughs) Those dirty sinners, man, they need to be in that revival atmosphere and hear the convicting power, and you'll see that. You'll see the convicting power of the Holy Spirit all over the people, and you'll see people that have been sinners their whole life suddenly weeping and crying. And and man, how we need a Holy Spirit revival, because that's one role of the Holy Spirit we want to see. We want to see the Holy Spirit in our community, because how many know we need the power of the Holy Spirit with that convicting power? And you say, yeah, those sinners, man. But how many know when the Holy Spirit's moving in a church? That the believers have a sanctifying power. Like we are, like if the Holy Spirit's really in this house, you know what's gonna happen? We're gonna walk out of this place and we're gonna say, you know what? I gotta quit having a filthy mouth. I'm just not hearing anything now. You know, I gotta be nicer to people. Because the Holy Spirit's all over me. You say, wait a minute. No, no, no. It's supposed to be for my enjoyment and my goosebumps and my, you know, exciting good music. No, no. The Holy Spirit is empowering you to live a godly life, 
to be sanctified, to be separated, for God to do incredible things in you. And you say, man, by the time the Holy Spirit's done with me, my kids are going to actually love me. They're going to like me. You know, because I'm going to be nicer to them. I'm going to be kinder. I'm going to be more generous. The Holy Spirit, this is a sure work of the Holy Spirit when He gets into a church that He changes all of us into the image of Christ. So if you want to figure out, man, is the Holy Spirit in this place? Well, find out, are we growing in the fruit of the Spirit in this church? And I say, come, Holy Spirit. I want to see the convicting power on the light. I want people before they even walk in the doors to sense the Holy Spirit because one of His works is before they even walk in the door, they're already sensing the the presence of God. And they're already saying, God, man, this is the voice that I remember as a kid. This is the voice that, you know, and, and you can begin to sense that, man, my whole life, the Spirit of God, this person has been trying to draw me to Christ. And the more I know him, guess what he does? He's drawing me closer and closer to Christ. He's making me more and more like the image of Christ. That's a role of the Holy Spirit that we need to recognize. Second thing. He is a creator. How many know that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth? It says, the earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. How many know that God spoke the Word, and the Holy Spirit responded? Now in the Bible, Jesus Christ is the Word. And I received Jesus Christ into my life, and I received the Holy Spirit... And guess what the job of the Holy Spirit is in one of his roles? Creation. So Jesus says you can't go to heaven unless you're born again. So who is the creative power that creates a new person? When you were created, what did God do when he created man? He breathed the breath of life into him. And so when we're saved, in fact, Jesus, when he sent his Holy Spirit to the disciples, what did he do? He blew on them. And that's the Spirit of God hovering. When Elijah seen the valley of dead bones and he said, prophesy unto those bones that they may live. And what did he do? A wind began to blow violently over that valley of bones and it became a living creatures, an army. Uh, when the Spirit of God began to fall on the day of Pentecost, what did they experience? A violent, rushing wind. In fact, it was a rafter-shaking, very aggressive wind that came through the building. In fact, they were like, what in the world is going on? It's like a hurricane in here. It shaked the ra- It was a violent wind that went through there because God was creating something new. And so when God comes into your life, the work of the Holy Spirit is to create life, to make you a new person. And so what's going to happen is when you begin to believe with all of your heart and you say, I'm all for God, let myself die, I'm ready to be a new creature, guess is what's going to happen? You're going to have new desires. The Bible says you're going to have a new heart and you're going to become a new creation In Christ, the old has passed away and behold, the new has come. And so when we see the Holy Spirit in operation, let me give you another definition of a moving of the Holy Spirit. You begin to see new creations. 
You begin to see people. In fact, I can remember going to a revival in uh, Brownsville Assembly of God. And um, the um, weirdest thing happened is as the Spirit of God began to move, there was a man in that town that hated the revival. He worked at our hotel. He wanted to put me in jail because my kids were worshiping and they came from the revival. Well, I had a whole group of 30-some-odd kids that didn't even go to church. In fact, I just found them off the street because they wanted to go to Florida with a youth pastor. And they didn't have parents. You remember, most all, I just said, find kids that want to go to Florida. And the Spirit of God began to blow. And these kids, a lot of them just hated church. They had nothing to do with church, never been in church. And the creative power of the Holy Spirit began to move on them. And they wanted to stay up all night and worship. And I said, okay, well, let's stay in my room and let's stay quiet. Well, this man came through and he was like, you know what? He, he, he said, if you don't tell them to go to bed, I'm gonna, you're gonna be in trouble. And I said, well, they're not going to bed. They're gonna be quiet and they're gonna continue to worship. They, I said, before they came, they wanted nothing to do with God, knew nothing about God. And now they want to worship all night. And I said, I'm not gonna stop them. He goes, well, if you don't stop them, I'm gonna take you to jail. I said, well, take me to jail. So they called me down to the hotel office and uh, they called the owner of the security company. The owner of the security company said, hey, um, this guy hates this revival. And he said, I do security at the church. And he said, can I tell you something? He said, there's not a single prostitute left on DeSoto Street, which is right next to the, the church. And it was the biggest prostitution district in the city. And he said, every one of those prostitutes go to that church. And can I tell you something? I was in the baptismal tank, and the first person I baptized was a prostitute who was 90 pounds. She had been molested as a kid, and she said, God finally delivered me from the molestation of me as a kid. And she said, that's why I'm on drugs, and that's why I'm a prostitute. And God has delivered me dramatically. And she shook so much under the power of the Holy Spirit, I couldn't get her out of the tank. That's real. Because the Holy Spirit went... And prostitutes become new. My whole youth group became new. Every prostitute on the street became new. So if you want to know what a spirit uh, move of the Holy Spirit looks like, look to see if there's new creations that are rising up. Can you imagine what it was like when the Holy Spirit moved upon the face of the earth and it was dark and it was without form and it was without void and everywhere where the Spirit went, things began to appear beautiful. I mean, all of those beautiful oceans, all of those beautiful green trees, all of those flowers, everything. Just just imagine the Holy Spirit just moving on the face of the earth. You haven't pictured it, have you? Well, it's more beautiful when God sends the Holy Spirit among a group of people and people begin to grow new life. And so if you want to know another, number one, one role of the Holy Spirit is He will convict of sin which means if we're away from God, boy, it's going to hit us. And He's going to say, I'm drawing you to God. Here's the sin in your life, and I've got the cure for that sin. And then when you're saved, He's going to say, hey, there's still things we're working on. And that's a wonderful thing, that I've got the Holy Spirit to help me work through all those things. Second thing is, you're going to begin to see new life grow all over the place, because that's the role of the Holy Spirit. So a Spirit-led church, if He is your leader... These are some of the works that He wants to do in our church. Hallelujah. Amen. Uh, The next thing that you'll see the Holy Spirit do 
is the Holy Spirit will indwell believers. You say, wow, what is, what's that all about? Well, when Jesus, before He died and was resurrected, He said, after my resurrection, something new is going to happen. In fact, the Old Testament prophesied constantly about it. Because before Jesus was resurrected, the Holy Spirit would come upon people and they would do great things. It would be a coming upon and and you see every great and mighty thing that God was doing in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon them. But now God says something different is going to happen. You're going to be indwelt with the Holy Spirit. He's going to be, you remember Jesus, the one I read earlier said He's going to be in you. And so He wants to take residence and you're going to be the house that houses the Holy Spirit. And boy, this is an amazing thing. So what we should find is a house full of people that have the Holy Spirit living in there and residing in there. Right? And so it says, John, I'm sorry. Yeah, Ephesians 1.13. It says, And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of our salvation. When you believed... You were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So when does the Holy Spirit come and take residence? When I believe the gospel. When I said, I believe it 100%. God, I'm sold out. I'm all in. Lord, fill me with Your Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit becomes begins to take residence in your body. And you say, well, how does that work? How do I know the Holy Spirit's there? Because the Bible says... The Holy Spirit is like a mighty storm. It says like the wind. It says when the wind comes and the storm comes, you go outside and you can't see the wind, right? I can't see even the mightiest wind. But man, I see the power of the trees shaken. I see everything that can be moved is moved. And then when the storm comes through, I walk outside and guess what I see? The effects. And so when the Holy Spirit comes into a person, the Bible says it's going to be like that. You're not going to see Him, but you're going to know He's been there. And you're going to begin to see all the effects of the Holy Spirit. And you say, well, what's that feel like? And I'll tell you what it feels like. It's it's like before I did all kinds of things that I wanted to do, but now something inside of me is saying that's wrong. In church, it's critical. I was trying to explain to somebody the other day. They were trying to figure out, do I have the Holy Spirit or do I not have the Holy Spirit? And this person was regularly praying and regularly studying their Bible. And I said, do you remember that something inside of you saying you need to pray or learn how to pray? That's the Holy Spirit. Something inside of you is saying that was okay to watch before. But suddenly it's not okay to watch now. You know, that kind of behavior to your neighbor was okay before, but something's telling me it's not okay now. Something is saying I need to learn how to study my Bible, but nothing was telling me that before. How many know that's the effects of the Holy Spirit working within you? Because now you're a believer and now you trust in Jesus. So he says, now I'm going to send the promised one. And so we need to begin to cultivate a relationship with the one that resides within us. 
In fact, what if you invited somebody into your house that you'd never met before? And that person was sent to be an advocate. That person was sent. Maybe you're a wealthy person and that person was sent to help direct your life. Like, hey, he'll help you with legal advice. He'll help you with, you know, uh, how to do gardening, how to fix your house, you know, marital advice, uh, all these different things. Anything that you need. In fact, you'll kind of be like Google in the flesh, right? And so he's going to come into your life and he's going to help you with everything. I've already paid for him. He's already being delivered. And he goes into your house and he sits on your couch. And every day you walk by and you act like he's not even there. Sitting on the couch, just like Eddie's sitting here. And every day I walk by and never say hi to him. I go in, I go out. Now see, God was faithful to give what he promised. He gave you the Holy Spirit and you received him into your heart. And occasionally you hear from him, but you don't even recognize that that's the Holy Spirit. Do you understand that? You can do this. You can actually... Go your whole life and never recognize that the Holy Spirit's been trying to draw you to God, trying to help you deal with the sin problem, which is ultimately the number one problem in the world. You say, well, no, it's the Democrats, or it's the Republicans, or it's the liberals, or it's the conservatives, or it's drugs, or it's... No, the number one problem in the world is sin. And God sent the Holy Spirit to help us deal with it. In fact, the two doctrines of the whole Bible, you want to break it down to two things? There's a Messiah that died for your sins. He's critical. There's no other way to heaven. And he sent the Holy Spirit because he's on the right hand of the Father. Those are the two doctrines of the Bible. Receive his death and resurrection or you can't live and you can't go to heaven and receive his Holy Spirit because he's all you got right now. And we can go our whole life and never recognize the Holy Spirit before we were saved, at the time of salvation. And we can go our whole Christian life and never recognize he's residing in our heart. You say, that's not true. Well, why did the Ephesians say to Paul, we know not that there even be a Holy Spirit? They'd been saved. They'd been living for God. They're seeking out Paul. And Paulos was one of the greatest speakers ever, but Apollos didn't explain to them the Holy Spirit. So Apollos left and they said, Paul, come to our house and, and teach us the way of the Lord more perfectly. And so Paul began to explain to them that there is a Holy Spirit and you need Him. And Paul began to preach to them the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We've got this really complicated, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. You know what the fullness of the Holy Spirit is? The full benefits of the Holy Spirit. Let me make it really simple. You say, well, how do I know if I'm full of the Spirit? You're receiving the full benefits of the Holy Spirit. When you're receiving the full benefits of the Holy Spirit, you've got a fullness when he's building fruit in your life, you're listening to him about sin. He's sanctifying you. He's doing all these things that his work is. Then you're full of the Holy Spirit. And God wants us to be so full of the Holy Spirit and regularly filled. How many know that? God wants us to be pleru. He wants us to be a present uh, tense, constantly being filled, full of the benefits of the Holy Spirit. Everything that he has to offer me, I want. But here's the thing. He's sitting on your couch residing in your heart, and you don't even know that he exists. You're walking by, and he's sitting there, and I'm not going to say hi, I'm not going to say goodbye, I'm not going to say hello, I'm not going to have a conversation. And he's like, hey, I'm here to help you. And you're like, I don't need your help, i got this taken care of. Then you're not spirit-led. The Bible says if you're spirit-led, then you are the sons of God. Hallelujah. Goes on. A few other ones here. 
Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God? You are not of your own. Romans 8, 9, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh. You're in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not, do you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? That means He's there. Acknowledge Him. And so God has sent His Spirit to be dwelling around us all the time. That means He's walking with me. He's talking with me. He's telling me how to live my life. He's my ever-present companion. The Holy Spirit is a person. And boy, we can't uh, ignore the Holy Spirit and His work. So what's His first role? Telling us all about sin. Tell me about it. I want to know. You say, I don't want to know. I want to keep doing it. Well, you're not ready for the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit wants to make me like Christ. And that's why I'm following Christ. And that's why I believe in Christ. Because I want to be like Him. Hallelujah. Number four, the Holy Spirit will help me pray. Man, I want the full benefit of that. James 4.3, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Ouch, that hurts. So God is not answering a lot of our prayers because we're asking based on our own pleasure. In fact, another way to say it is, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it on your own lust. So God is not answering a lot of people's prayers because they don't know how to pray. In fact, uh, have you ever heard people that are recklessly going into a court case? Like maybe it's... um, How many have ever been with somebody as they've gone through divorce court? And some people are really reckless. They're like, "Ah, you know, I'm just going to do however, whatever, and I'm I'm just going to say this, I'm going to say that. And you know yourself, if you walk through with people, you better be careful what you say. Better be careful what you do. You better get lots of good counsel before you do what you do. Or any court case where everything you say will be held against you in a court of law. And a lot of us know the better thing to do is keep your mouth shut. Unless you have a lawyer and they tell you exactly what to say. Right? That's what the Bible says the Holy Spirit is for us. He is an advocate that will prepare your case and help you present it before the Father. Isn't that amazing? That means He will teach me how to pray. He will help me pray the will of the Father, the Bible says. And if I'm not praying the will of the Father, then I'm asking amiss. And you say, well, man, what are the repercussions of that? Well, sometimes the repercussion of asking amiss is you think God doesn't answer prayer. I'm telling the truth here, even if I don't get one amen. Sometimes God's not answering our prayer because we're not asking it according to His will. We're not praying with the help of our advocate, the one that prepares our case and tells us how to pray before the Father. Now, if we pray the Father's will, He'll do more abundantly than we've even asked for. 
But boy, we got to learn what the will of the Father is. We got to learn what the will of the Spirit is. And we need the fullness of the Spirit. In fact, uh, the Bible says that, and this is where it's really important for your prayer life. In fact, I believe that there are a lot of people um, that get a really great benefit in their prayer life because they've learned to be led by the Holy Spirit. And some of those don't even speak in tongues. Oh, you say, Chad, you've already went over the line here. I've known some great prayer people that don't even speak in tongues, but they've learned from the Holy Spirit how to present their case before the Father, and they know how to pray because the Holy Spirit has led them how to do it. But then the Bible says that he that prays in an unknown tongue does not pray to men, but he prays to God. Because men don't understand, and he doesn't even understand what he's saying, but he's praying the will of the Father. So how many know that's why that is such an incredible gift? Because it is a devotional prayer. How many have ever been in prayer and you say, man, I don't know what to pray. So I pray in the Spirit. I pray before the Father and and it's the perfect will of God that I'm praying. Because how many know God does everything by prayer? Everybody's in the same boat. You say, well, what if I'm completely paralyzed, can't even move my tongue, can't do anything in my body. Well, man, I can still pray. It's the same thing for everybody. Everything is done through prayer. In fact, if that's true, then if I ask not, I have not because I ask not. Because God is fair to everybody. It's all done through prayer, prayer, prayer. And he sent me an advocate, the Holy Spirit, where I don't even have to say the words. Romans says he'll speak to the Father with groanings which cannot be uttered. How many of you know that this is big time stuff? Like I can do it, even not speaking in tongues, the Holy Spirit will teach me how to present my case to the Father. But man, there's a, even another gift there where I can pray before the Father even when I run out of words and don't know what to say. And boy, those moments come all the time. Hallelujah. Number five. He seals and makes the believer feel secure. Ephesians 1.13 says, And you also were included in Christ. I'm so thankful I'm included in Christ. Hallelujah. When you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal. Now what is that seal that you were marked with? The Holy Spirit. Promised Holy Spirit. Who is a deposit guaranteeing we have an inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. You know what that means? How can I confirm that I'm buying a house? They're like, you better give me an earnest deposit. And because I paid that deposit, that means I am intending to buy that house and that house is held for me. How many have ever went to a car lot and they said, well, if you're serious about it, give us a $500 deposit. And because of that $500 deposit, they're obligated to sell me the car or sell me the house. How many know that? The Bible says that God has put a down payment on those who are His and are going to receive His inheritance in heaven. This is heaven. The inheritance of heaven that we all, I think the polls say 99% of the people believe they're going to heaven. Okay, it's it's literally 99.5% of the people believe they're going to heaven. Well, you're not going to heaven unless you receive the down payment of the Holy Spirit. That's scary. I don't know if 99.5% of the people are, have a relationship with the Holy Spirit or not, 
But boy, I would sure want to know that the Holy Spirit's at work in my life. Like, man, I want to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. I want to hear His voice. But the down payment, in fact, Romans 8.23 says, Not only so, but we ourselves, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, which is the redemption of our bodies. In fact, uh, Romans 8.15 says, The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves that you live in fear. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and it makes us cry, Abba, Father. So not only is it a down payment, it is the guarantee that I'm going to be adopted at the redemption of my body, and it is the Spirit that makes me cry out, Daddy. Can you imagine... Being a child that's going to be adopted by a father and into a new family, and you want some kind of assurance. How many know adopted children feel like they're going to be abandoned all the time? It's a spirit of abandonment. It's very um, something you see in psychology regularly is that you have to assure a child who's been in a foster home that they're going to have a forever family. How many know this is true? We are that foster child. We're wanting to be the sons and daughters of God. And the only thing that can allow us to know that we're going to be adopted is the Holy Spirit, who is the down payment of our inheritance, and also the one that makes us sure we're going to be adopted at the redemption of our body. And while we're waiting to be adopted at the redemption of our body, He's making us cry out, Dad. How many know it takes a while for a foster child to be able to truly say, Dad. I mean, no, it takes a while for us to finally understand He loves us and He is our Father. It takes a while to understand that He's going to take care of me, even though things... How many know it takes a while to trust God as our Father? And there's one person that makes us... In fact, if the Spirit is moving, one of His roles is to make you understand that I have an inheritance in heaven and I'm going to heaven. It's the, it's the guarantee that I'm going to heaven because I know the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is making me say, Dad, I love you. Dad, I love you. Dad, you're going to take care of me. Dad, I can trust you. Dad, I am truly your son. And you say, well, how I know I'm going to go to heaven? Most of the religions of the world have no idea how to answer that question. Jesus wanted to make sure you could answer that question by sending you the Holy Spirit who is going to make you cry out, Dad. You understand how important this relationship with the Holy Spirit is? And so, man, if I see a move of God in a church, I should begin to see people that understand He is my Father and I love Him. And if we're not seeing that, then the Spirit of God is not at work in our congregation. If we're not seeing people that are falling in love with their Father and knowing that they have an inheritance in heaven, you say, man, Chad, I'm so consumed with the world. I can't even be happy about heaven. It's because you haven't had the down payment yet. The down payment assures you that it's it's not going to be... In fact, I know because of the down payment of the Holy Spirit that if I died right now, I would gain my inheritance and I'd be with my Father because the Holy Spirit has done that inside. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. We need to know the Holy Spirit. Listen to this, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Why should I not grieve the Holy Spirit? Do you know the Holy Spirit's a person that can be grieved? 
Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. So don't grieve Him. Why? Because that's your only down payment, your only guarantee until the day of redemption is Him. So I don't want to grieve Him because that's my Willy Wonka golden ticket. You say, man, you've got some great references today. (laughs) Who would give up the Willy Wonka golden ticket? Come on now. I just got some shouting in here. Willy Wonka. The inheritance of the Holy Spirit is like that ticket. If you had a winning lottery ticket, would you give it up? Be like, man, I'm going to hide this thing. I'll make sure nobody takes it. I'm going to cash it in. We don't play the lottery, by the way. There's a lot of examples I use we don't do, all right? Just say, well, he's talking about the lottery. No. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of the inheritance. So don't grieve him. Don't be, don't ignore him. Don't be disobedient to him because he says that is your only guarantee until the day of redemption is that you have the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Amen. Romans 8.11, But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead will also quicken your mortal body by His Spirit that dwells in you. See, here's the thing. The body pictures, or the Bible pictures our body as a seed that's going to be planted in death. That seed either has the Spirit in it or it doesn't. If the Spirit is in that seed, it'll be raised up to eternal life. If it doesn't have that Spirit, it'll be given a body for eternal death. How many know that? It's the Spirit that causes our mortal bodies to be quickened because it was the Spirit that quickened Jesus' body. How many know that? The Spirit has to be in me when they plant this seed in the ground or I will not be quickened to eternal life. It's the Spirit that brings life. Do you guys understand that? We have to have the Spirit for our mortal bodies to be quickened to eternal life. Hallelujah. That's Romans 8.11. John 10.27, My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I will give them eternal life and they will never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them to me is greater than all. No man is able to pluck them from my Father's hand. Me and the Father are one. Uh, Ephesians 1.13, and you also were in... Oh, I already read that one. Number six. When the Spirit of God begins to move, we're going to be producing fruit. In fact, they're called the fruit of the Spirit. In fact, if you look at that word, fruit is singular. It's not plural. It's not like, hey, I get my selection here. This is a la carte. Right? So I'm going to get a little bit of the love fruit. I'm pretty good at the peace fruit. Terrible at the self-control one. And it's kind of a la carte. You know a la carte. You get what you want. I don't want to waste all my time with the broccoli and the Brussels sprouts. Just give me the pizza. Give me the cheese sticks. Give me the... Right? And sometimes we do that with the fruit of the Spirit. We think it's plural and we get whichever one we want. But the fruit of the Spirit is singular fruit. And so it is. But I say to you, walk in the Spirit. Walk in the what? The Spirit is moving. We will be growing fruit. Singular. All nine of these will be growing in our life. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they are Christ who have crucified in the flesh the affections and lusts. 
How many know if the Spirit is at work in this church, we'll be able to see it because God will be growing fruit in the people in this church. You say, well, man, the Spirit of God is moving, but you go there and see the Spirit of God moving and nobody's any more loving than they were before. In fact, Paul was shocked to go see the Corinthians who didn't lack any gifts, but they weren't loving. They were taking each other to court and had lawsuits. They were uh, doing things that were detrimental to young Christians um, who were new believers, and they were eating things that they had a freedom to eat. But Paul said, you're not being very loving to these new Christians. And so when the Spirit of God begins to move, man, we begin to see these fruit grow. i got to watch my time, because last week I forgot. Hallelujah. Next thing, number seven. The Spirit of God makes you grow in knowledge and understanding. It says, 1 John 2.20, it says, but you have an anointing. This is John talking about false prophets and false teachers. It says, you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. Then he goes down 2.27, it says, as for you, the anointing you received from Him remains in you. You do not need anybody to teach you, but as the anointing teaches you about all things, and the anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as, uh, just as it has taught you, remain in Him. How many know the Spirit of God, Jesus said, will teach you all things? And so we need the Spirit of God to quicken our hearts and begin to understand what the truth is. We should be growing in the truth of the Word of God because the Holy Spirit is there to actually teach us, actually train us in righteousness. The Holy Spirit does. Number eight, I talked about this last week, and I'm not going to go into it a whole lot again, but He uh, gives you the power to serve. That's the dunamis I talked about last week. And then He sanctifies believers, which is what I went over last week. But let me begin to talk to you about the about the being led by the Holy Spirit. I was led to, um, um, I was at a pastor's meeting this week. And as I was at the pastor's meeting, um, in fact, I think it might have been actually the end of last week, uh, there was an older lady there, and she was probably 80-something years old. And um, I was just, um, I had noticed she was sitting alone. And sometimes when you're at a pastor's meeting, it's kind of like, I don't know, it frustrates me sometimes because there's a lot of, uh, like, you know, my kingdom is, you know, better than your kingdom. And, you know, and I'm just kind of like, oh, man, I don't know. And um, I'm not always comfortable in those environments. So I see this little lady there. She's been ministering. She's doing a celebrate recovery. Sweet lady. And so I just sat by her, my wife and I, and we were much more comfortable there. And we were just kind of loving on her and talking to her. And and I was just kind of really you know, focused on my food. They brought me some really good food. And, and uh, she said, hey, did you hear about Red River Revival? And uh, boy, and I stopped and, and the Holy Spirit just caught my attention. Because I don't know if any of you have ever studied that in history but um in 1800 and i know i'm getting close to closing time so just stay with me here but in 1800 um that is considered in the history of the united states the first um camp meeting they call it and in 1800 in fact i was talking to a man that just loved this old older man that was a groundskeeper there and he was saying, he was telling me all about the history of it because he's the groundskeeper, he's an older man, been doing it for 30 years. And um, he said, yeah, he said, this is where all the fugitives and all the 
you know, people that were the roughnecks and they were, and this is time, how many remember the time in history called the westward expansion? And everybody was heading west and that's where a lot of fugitives were running from the law and, you know, people were squatting on land and finding new land and, and a lot of them were deposited there in that area in Kentucky where this revival happened. And the Red River Revival, there was a pastor named Pastor McCready. And he was a Presbyterian minister, and he came from Tennessee. They actually kicked him out of Tennessee for preaching about hell. And he was a revivalist. And he came to uh, this area in Kentucky, about two hours from here. And um, you read the history of this revival. And uh, I love studying revival. I, I love to see the Spirit of God do His ministry. The work that He is doing... The Holy Spirit. The things that I talked about today is just a small portion of the things the Holy Spirit does. But that conviction of sin, that sanctifying the believers, that all these, you know, letting people know that they have a Father that loves them, forgives them, they're His sons and daughters, He cleans us up, He restores us, all this work of the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm a historian of those things because I study them. How I many know we, we should have a desire to want to see the Holy Spirit move in power in our culture right now? And it's our only hope right now. In fact, in that time, it was around 1800 of this revival, and I, you need to hear this revival. It was around 1800, and our nation was turning against religion. In fact, they were turning against God, they were turning against anything that had to do with God. Uh, this nation was backslidden and going away from God. And this is um, a period of time that just was really cold and dry and, and it wasn't a good time in our history. And how many know that we have had several times like that in our history and we're currently in one of those periods of time? In fact, it was exactly the kind of culture we have right now. It was an age of reason. All of the writings were all about logic and reason and all this different stuff. And here you have some Presbyterian Calvinist ministers in the middle of Kentucky and trust me, it's in the middle of nowhere. All right? And this revival was at the meeting house where this old revival was at one time. And during this meeting, they're preaching. One preacher's preaching mostly Presbyterians at that moment. And one woman begins to shriek and repent. And she stops and it gets really quiet. And then another person starts to do it. And then she does it again. And the minister stands up and starts to walk over and they pull him aside and they say, now you understand that we expect order in our services. And so he goes and he sits back down. And then he gets back up. And I mean... Something hit that place. And people just begin repenting of their sins. And they begin to fall down as if they were slain. And it looked like they were dead. They weren't moving. They just, the power of the Holy Spirit was upon them and they didn't know what was happening. And here's one here, one there. Bodies are everywhere. The Spirit of God. You can tell He's at work. You know how I can tell He's at work? Because they're repenting all over the place. I mean, they're getting right with God. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is strong. And you say, well, that could be the devil. 
I know the work of the Holy Spirit. They're getting right with God. There's, and, and, and I say, Lord, that's what we want. That's supernatural. That guy couldn't have said a word to make that happen. That is a move of the Holy Spirit, a revival. And, and you begin to see, man, people are repenting. They're wanting to worship. They're wanting to spend time with God. They're drawing close to God. And guess what I say? Man, that could be the devil doing that. Come on. What's the work of the Holy Spirit? Draw you close to God. And people start coming from all over. In fact, one of the locations, it's it's very sparsely populated. Not very many people live in Red River. And so in 1800, I mean, this is a time when uh, this older man was telling me the whole history. This is a time when Andrew Johnson is right down the road having duels with people. Okay, I mean, it's a wicked time and they're rough people and they're rugged people. How many know this? And the Spirit of God hits them. And you know what this old, this older, gentle, full of the Holy Spirit man, he says, and he, he didn't even believe in the gifts of the Spirit. And he came to that thing every night and was for it. And he said, you know, I reckon it was a move of God because people were more kindly to one another. I said, what do you mean by that? And he said, they were kindly to one another. He said they were loving each other and, you know, not doing what they were doing before. And you know what I say about that? Man, the enemy must have been doing that. Making them stop drinking and beating their wives and having duels in town with each other. And how obvious that that, that is a work of the Spirit. These are all the roles I'm talking about today with the Holy Spirit. And people start coming from all over. In fact, the guy pastored three churches. He ended up, at the end of his life, pastoring in Henderson, Kentucky, and died in Evansville preaching his last sermon in Evansville. But one of his other churches, one church was bringing in about 1,000 and there was almost no population. The other church was bringing in 20,000 people from all over. And you say, well, they've probably seen it on social media. You know, this 1800, by the way. No, they probably send out marketing material. No, they didn't. The Holy Spirit was just drawing people to Christ. And there were wagon loads of slaves that were getting saved by droves. You say, well, that's not that big of a deal. It was 1800. The Civil War was the middle of the 1800s. That's 50 years before the Civil War. And they were pulling up in wagons everywhere getting saved. All different religions were coming together. Methodists, Presbyterians, everybody was coming together. Different preachers every night. People getting saved all over the place. And can I tell you another thing? Every revival movement I've ever seen, it brings out the weirdest people. I'm just telling you, it brings out every kind of different people. And Paul was very clear Don't treat prophecies with contempt. Don't quench the Spirit. Because do you see the Spirit is all over that? But then he says, test it. He didn't say just test some of the things. He said test all of the things. And so I went to Red River Revival and I was praying about it on the way back home. And and God was saying, okay, now's the time. Live it. Don't quench the Spirit. 
Meaning I am hungry for revival more than a person could be hungry for revival because I want to see a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. I want a work of the Holy Spirit where all the ministry of the Holy Spirit is happening. I want prophecies. I don't want to look down or disdain or have contempt on prophecies. I want to listen to every person that feels like the Spirit of God is moving upon them. I mean, no, the easiest thing to do is say, stop. And I want to test everything. In fact, I was driving home and I was saying, God, man, there are a lot of things there that I'm, I, I didn't, I didn't think met, you know, biblically what you're trying to do. And he said, here's the time now, live this scripture out. I said, well, I feel bad being critical. And, and, and how many know testing all things? There's a certain testing literally means think about all of it and test it all to see if it meets the standard. He says, hold fast to that which is good. Throw away the other stuff. And how many know every revival you're in is going to be God moving on fallible people? Can I tell you some of the things that I didn't like? And I'll tell you some of the things I did like. You say, why are you doing it? Because I'm testing all things. I want to hold fast to that which is good. Let me tell you the good things first. The couple that organized it have very sweet spirits about them. In fact, I talked to them and met them, very humble, loved the Lord, um, great message, you know, seem like they really, truly love the Lord and uh, really enjoyed uh, very talented praise and worship leaders. The wife is very talented and loving, full of the Holy Spirit, um, just really enjoyed. How many know it's awesome being out in an open field worshiping God? And I could have been there all day long worshiping God. In fact, I was in the old cabin there that they built, the replica cabin of the original, and worshiping God, loving God around all these people that love the Lord. Um, just a lot, just worshiping God in that historic place and just giving praises to God. And, and, and how many know that that is building us up in the Holy Spirit? The more experience I have with the Holy Spirit, the better, because I'm growing in my relationship with the Holy Spirit, an incredible environment, full of faith, full of preaching. Um, but can I tell you something? I had helped the guy put up all the lights there early on. We were working on it for quite a while. And as we were standing there, the lights would go off, the lights would go on, the lights would go off, and we kept trying to fix them. And so Eddie and I were talking, and I said, hey, I said, uh, it's not working again. <laughs> Those were some fateful words here. Well, there was a guy there that was a, one of the main leaders was standing in the tent, and he's just listening to what everybody's saying, you know. And so uh, he knew I was a pastor. We talked earlier. I introduced myself to him, got to know him a little bit. He came up to me, and he said, hey, he said, um, I overheard you from... No, he actually didn't tell me that first. He said, um, things aren't working in your life, are they? I said, no, I said, things are working pretty well. I said, I think things are working good. He goes, well, well, and he said, are you sure? And I said, yeah, they're working really well. And he said, um, I heard you over there say that things aren't working. 
But he came to me as a prophetic word. And I said, man, I don't remember saying that things weren't working in my life. And finally later we realized that we were talking about those lights not working and we needed to go fix them. And, and how many know that's a false prophetic word? And, and, um, and then he, on top of that, said, you need to be water baptized. And there are three water baptism tanks there, and the altar call literally is, get into the tank. And everybody, whatever you're struggling with, get in the tank. And um, he told me I need to be water baptized, and I, he, and I said, no, I said, I, I really don't. And he said, no, he said, you'd be amazed what happens when, in the water. Now, I mean, no. What we do as Christians, I'm telling you this because I love revival and I want revival. I'm being as honest, brutally honest as anybody can ever be. I want revival. I will hold fast to the things that were good there because those people love the Lord. And I love revival. And I'll go back and worship and be in the presence of God and enjoy the fellowship because here's what we do. When we see something out of whack, we throw it all away and say it's evil and be done with it. But how many of you know when God's Spirit begins to move on people, there's going to be things that are fallible. So that's why Paul said, test everything. It's okay to drive home and test everything. Because the Spirit of, or the Word of God says I should do that. Hold on to the prophecy. Don't condemn it. Don't, you know, um, have contempt for it. How many have ever had false prophecies? People that were overzealous. People who were doing the wrong things. And, and, I, and I'm telling you, Everybody at the altar call was in the water. If you were struggling with sin, you were in the water, even if you were saved. There were people with Christian t-shirts in the water that had already been saved and served the Lord for a long time, but they were getting rebaptized every time they repented. And, 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 and the website says five or six hundred people are baptized, but really it was mostly Christian. I would have been part of that hundred or whatever that were baptized had I jumped in the water. And I've been a pastor for 25 years. Test all things. Hold on to the things that are good. And don't have contempt for prophecy. Paul says, man, the Spirit of God is moving, but hold on to the things that are good. So I could come back and say, man, you know what? It's of the devil. They're bad people. They're evil people. But here's the problem. We're fallible too. There's things that we do wrong, but I want the Spirit of God more than anything. Another thing that you see there, in fact, it reminded me a lot of a church camp. And people everywhere are as loud as they possibly can be speaking in tongues. I mean, yelling at the top of their lungs, speaking in tongues. And I told you last week, there is a... And you say, well, Chad, how are you saying this? Because I don't care. I don't care about reputations. I don't care about colleagues. I don't, I care about the Word of God and testing all things. Some people believe the louder you yell in tongues, the more God is going to move. But Paul said, if you're enamored with the gift of tongues, then you won't move on to the greater gifts, which are prophecy. And boy, it would have been nice to see more prophetic words than all of the loud speaking in tongues. And you say, well, if they don't speak loud in tongues, God's Spirit's not going to move and He's not going to do anything. I'll take you back to 1800. Not a single person in that revival spoke in tongues. 
But the Spirit of God did so much work in that revival, it was unreal. And what I'm saying is, Paul went into a church in Corinth, it's either part of the Bible or it's not. And they were so enamored with speaking in tongues that Paul said, let me show you a more excellent way. Quit being so caught up in the gift of tongues because I, Paul, speak in tongues more than all of you people. But I would rather around the people speak five words in an unintelligible language and would rather, or 10,000 words in an unintelligible language. I'd rather speak five words that they can understand so they can be benefited. He said, I'd rather you sought the gift of prophecy than the speaking of tongues. And church, can I tell you something? Paul is telling us a more excellent way. There wasn't a time I was on that property that I wasn't praying in the Spirit. But can I tell you something? There's a more excellent way that Paul's trying to tell us. God sent me to that place because He wanted me to see the good, the bad, and the ugly. And He wanted me to walk away and understand that my... Guys, we got to be so hungry for God's Spirit to move, but we have to test all things. How many know that? You say, well, Chad, you're against Pentecostals. Am I against Pentecostals? No, I'm for the Holy Spirit to move in the lives of this community. I want God to move so great. And can I tell you something? If we would have moved on to real, true prophecy and not listening from a tent to see what somebody's saying in a conversation, that we were moving in prophetical gifts, I'm saying, I'm saying the right thing, aren't I? Church, I love those people that are there. I love the fact that they have a revival. I'll go back and worship in the grass, but we've got to... Here's what we do. We see God moving and we think that everybody's infallible. When Paul said, test all things, hold on to the things that are good and get rid of the things that aren't good. And that's what I'm telling you, church. If we're going to have a move of God, we've got to test all things, hold on to that which is good, and let go of those things that aren't. And you're saying, can we not make mistakes? I am a history of revival. I'm a historian of revival. Okay, can I tell you at Azusa Street, one of the greatest revivals that we've ever seen, there was such strong leadership there, that people would come to those meetings and they would bring something from the Holy Spirit. In fact, you had different preachers, you had different Believers, you had different people from all over the world coming to Azusa to get in the presence of God. And do you know that if somebody brought something that was not of the Holy Spirit, they would lay their hands on them and say, that's not from the Lord. How many know that? How many have studied that revival and know that to be true? They tested all things and held on to that which is good and let go of those things that were not. In church, we're going to see all kinds of it's messy. In fact, the scripture that Josh reminded me of yesterday, scripture in the Bible that says that um, when the oxens are not in the stall, the stall is clean. But the oxen brings much increase. So here's what it's saying. Operating in the Holy Spirit is messy. In fact, the easiest thing to do is just say, no, we don't want the Holy Spirit and move him right out of our churches and right out of the, and move the gifts right out of the church because it's messy. Can I tell you something? It's messy. How many know it's messy? There's no way around it. 
It's going to be messy. We're going to have to have discernment. We're going to have to be praying. We're going to have to say, is this me or is this the Holy Spirit? We've got to know the Holy Spirit. We've got to know the moving of the Holy Spirit. We've got to know the work of the Holy Spirit. Because a lot of the things that are going on in the church is not the Holy Spirit. And a lot of things that are going on in the church is the Holy Spirit. And it's messy. And they're fallible people, and they're people that are learning to operate in the gifts, people that are moving in the gifts, people are um, making mistakes. How many know that? And so it's going to be messy, and sometimes people say, let's not have a move of God because it's messy. But the Bible says, but the oxen brings much increase. Church, one thing we're doing on Sunday nights, in fact, I've prayed about this. I know I'm going long, but I just, I don't care. I'm sorry. You can be mad at me, but Sunday nights we're working on things like connecting with people, hospitality to people. How many know these are biblical spiritual gifts? They're as important as anything that we do. Hospitality. How many know that's a critical thing that you can't even be a leader in the church unless you have hospitality? We need to connect with our community. We need to get out in our community. We need to follow up with new believers and disciple them uh, on the steps they need to serve the Lord. We need to have uh, discipleship, house to house, breaking of bread, growing in the Lord. All those things that we're building right now, we need to have outreach in the community. Evangelistic outreaches like I went to yesterday, which don't get me wrong, were awesome. I would go back. You say, well, you're critical, so it's of the devil. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying I'm testing all things because Paul told me to. We're going to do all those things, but how many know all those things mean nothing if we don't have the Spirit of God move in our church? If God doesn't do a supernatural move of God, and you say, well, what is that? Well, define it by the Bible, not by... A million other ways. A move of God is all this work of the Holy Spirit happening in the churches. When God begins to move like the Holy Spirit moves, we will know it, church. In fact, I've walked into, I've been in revivals everywhere, and you say, well, you're saying it wasn't at Red River? No, we were singing for a couple minutes, and a girl started shrieking, and, you know, demons were cast out of the girl, probably. She was shrieking with the worship music. Uh, that's the only time it happened, but it happened right at the beginning. There were people that were in the water getting ministry and were getting ministered to by the Lord. Aren't those good? Yeah, we hold fast to the good things, but we test all things. How many know that? Amen. Amen. So the Holy Spirit's got to move, but here's the thing. Sometimes we take one or the other. The Holy Spirit wants to move and we want to quench it, or... When the Holy Spirit moves, we're not ready with the hospitality, the follow-up, the discipleship, the small groups. How many know that God wants both? God wants a church that's balanced. Not only let the Holy Spirit move and have freedom to move and do the things God wants to move, but He also wants us to test all things. He wants us to disciple. He wants us to be hospitable. He wants us to be a church that welcomes people. How many know all of those things? We're working on the things we can do. And we're praying for the things we can't do. How many know both are important? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Rise to your feet.
Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you, Lord. Lord, we pray right now, Lord God. Holy Spirit, we pray for a mighty, mighty move of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we're hungry. Hungry, Lord God. For more of you, Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Lord, we pray right now that you would... uh, Lord, just be sovereign, Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. be honest again here I'm I've grown up in this thing my whole life you know eight years old I middle of the most Pentecostal church probably in Evansville all right I've been around this my whole life and I think if we got out of the way and just let the Holy Spirit do what he wants to do I've, I've been in places can I tell you something I've been in places where they told me as a young kid If you jump up and down and do exactly what we're doing, the Holy Spirit's going to move. Do you know what I've learned over all these years of being in the presence of God? Every person is unique. There are some people that are so expressive, they want the world to know what's in their heart. They want to shed it across the world. In fact, you'll see them on Facebook, the same personality. They want everybody to know that they love their child on their birthday. For me, that makes no sense. I just go and tell them I love them. And 50,000 people don't need to know that I love them. You know, I just tell them and it's done and that to me is more efficient. But some people... Their personality is the whole world needs to know what I'm eating. As long as I know what I'm eating, I'm happy. How many know there's a diversity? Uh, when I'm at a ball game, you know, my son's back there. He scores 40, 50 points, whatever he scores. Everybody's excited. And they're like, aren't you excited? Aren't you excited? And I'm just sitting there like, man, I'm more proud than anybody in the whole place. But do I do anything? No, I mean, I don't. That's my personality. Very rarely do I get excited. or And for years in church, they were like, you need to jump up and down. You need to do this, you need to do that. And I would do it sometimes because I felt like they know what they're talking about. 
But then I realized that, you know what? God is just flooding me with this Holy Spirit. And I just need to be who I am and get closer to the Holy Spirit and quit listening to all these formulas. And then there are other people that, man, I am expressive and the Holy Spirit's on me. And if I don't do something, I'm going to go crazy. And how many of you know the true freedom of the Holy Spirit is quit trying to be what they're telling you to be and be what the Holy Spirit tells you to be. And we need to start moving with the Holy Spirit and quit doing formulas. And man, I get in these places and I start feeling, hey, do it like us. Do this, do that, do this. Just let the, let's get out of the way and let the Holy Spirit begin to work in his life. Let's figure out what he does, how he moves, how he operates, how our, all our personalities are different. And let's just begin to flow with the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you something? I will be just happy if you let me sit in the corner and lay on the floor and get in the presence of God. I'll walk away and I'll be full of the Holy Ghost. But that's not good enough for an expressive personality. They need to be. They, they need to say, you know what? If I don't jump up and down, if I don't run, if I don't uh, dance, I'm not. Uh, I'm just not doing what God's called me to do. And the Bible is very clear: do what the Holy Spirit's called you to do. And how many know we need the freedom to move with the Holy Spirit? And you say, well, yeah, just make everybody dance and make everybody. Can I tell you something? The Holy Spirit knows there's a diversity in the body. And you say, well, Chad doesn't do it. We must do it like Chad. I'm not your leader. Holy Spirit is the one leading us. And the Holy Spirit will move in me in one way. It'll move in another person another way. All that, all that I'm saying is, and I don't want to hold you back from the freedom in Christ. But can I tell you something? We do have to test all things. When somebody comes up to me and says, your life's falling apart because the lights aren't working. I mean, no, I've got to test that. I was really just troubleshooting the lights. My life is actually not falling apart. Church, it's all right to test all things, and that doesn't mean that they're of the devil. That means that we're just testing all things and making sure. How many of you know people have been hurt over us not testing all things? It's okay to test all things. I felt guilty on the way home testing all things, and God reproved me, and He said, No, you need to do that. I was like, okay, good, good. But we don't want to be critical. Everybody understands I'm not being critical. I'm just saying I want a real, true move of God. And so I'm just being as honest as I can be. Hallelujah. Just enjoy the Lord. Don't let me get in your way. Just do what God called you to do. Freedom, that's what we want. But we want to test all things too and be obedient to the Word. Hallelujah. Amen. I'll close here. started Um, sometimes when you've seen the Holy Spirit move in amazing ways you're kind of um, spoiled once you've seen it it's hard to ever number one be satisfied without it but then you know what it looks like Can I tell you something? I've never seen. I mean, I'm so hungry for the Holy Spirit to move sovereignly and move over people. And I I can remember, um, 
Mike said, I can remember being in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I can remember Steve Hill. How many remember Steve Hill? That great revival in Pensacola. I think 200,000 people got saved. And churches were not the same all across America. And I can remember the anointing being so strong on that man that he would just kind of shake his hand in the whole section. Literally, I carried teenagers for five or six blocks that were so ruined by the whole... I mean, they were just their lives. Kids that wanted nothing to do with God, running to the altar, sprinting to the altar, getting right with God, hungry to worship, hungry to tell people about Jesus and... The deputy sheriff, I said, come to my youth group and start telling the testimony you've seen. And he told me about one guy, the meanest guy in town. He said he would spit on the cops. He punched several cops. He's in and out of jail. Just a mess. And he said he was doing security one night. And this guy came walking into the church. And they said, if this revival's real, we'll know it from that guy. The guy came out hugging the officers and every day came with a giant Bible and just was a totally different man full of the love of God on fire for God and was serving God through that whole revival and he said that's when I knew this revival was real and church can I tell I've been ruined I've seen God move in ways that I can't explain I've seen these roles of the Holy Spirit function. And can I tell you, you say Red River isn't it. I've seen things there. I've seen flashes of what I've seen the Holy Spirit moving. I've seen things here and there. And you say you discount. No, I don't discount it. I just say I want to see it because I've seen the real thing. I want to see the Holy Spirit move in such power. I don't want to get in the way. And I'm ruined for it. I'm I'm hungry because my family has never seen that. My kids have never been in that environment where the Holy Spirit has moved in such power that way. And I've seen it and I'm ruined and I want it and I'm hungry, as hungry as I could possibly be for a sovereign move of the Holy Spirit. How many are like that? In church, I won't take any substitutes for it. I won't take any substitutes for it. I want to see the Holy Spirit move sovereignly, and He's done it before. He'll do it again. He'll do it in our city. And as sure as I'm standing here, we're going to have a revival like that, church. We just got to press in to the real thing. Because when God does it, you'll know it. You'll know it. And so don't don't let me hold you back. Go after God with all of your heart, all of your heart. Let the Holy Spirit do His work, and let's continue to go after God. Hallelujah. I'm going to close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. Holy Spirit, we're so thankful for your ministry, and we're hungry for more. All that you have, Holy Spirit. Fill this church, Lord. Fill us to the full, Holy Spirit. Oh, we want you to move sovereignly, Lord. You're our only hope, Holy Spirit. Revival is the only hope of this nation. Many times, Lord God, you've moved in power and revival over this nation, Lord God. We're calling for you to do it again, Lord God. We're hungry, Lord. Move, Lord God, on your people, Lord. Mighty, Lord. Shake us, Lord. 
Hallelujah. Shake us, Lord. Hallelujah. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen. Hallelujah.